Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Batter Round here from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. I'm your host, Paul Valley, and joining me as always is my extraordinarily talented co-host, Zach Goodman. Zach, how are you today? A little bit cold for me. Honestly, it's getting too cold for me, so I'm ready for spring. Spring's in the air. Spring training starts this week. I'm ready for it. It's about yeah, time. It's it's kind of crazy that it's it was 25 degrees when I woke up this morning, and in like six weeks, it's going to be like 60 degrees every day. It's, it's, it's crazy to me to think about it like that. Uh, also, it snowed a lot this winter. We have more snow coming today at some point. I don't know how much. I think I saw something like an inch. But either way, I'm done with the snow, man. And also, people... I'm gonna I'm gonna stand on my soapbox here for a little bit. Clean the snow off of your cars. Don't you love when it hits your windshield off the back of their car? I love that. That's clean, my favorite, favorite, really favorite part of the winter. Clean the snow off of your car. If you look, it's like a thousand cars to one that don't have snow on their car. Like, so what? What I'm saying is, it's a very extreme minority that don't clean the snow off of their car. But I want to tell you a little bit of a story. A few years back, around in March, it snowed. And I believe it was the week of St. Patrick's Day. I was going to go down to see my daddy. He had just moved down to Fenwick. And it had snowed about two or three days prior. But this particular day, it was in the low to mid-50s. And I went for a run. Now, they always tell you that you should run with traffic. I always run against traffic. I run against traffic on the shoulder because I want to be able to see what's coming towards me so that if a car veers off, I can make some kind of an attempt to get out of the way. If I can't see the car, I'm going to die. Well, a car comes driving down the road, and I'm glad I was running with traffic because they have this big sheet of ice and snow on top of their car. It comes flying off, hits the shoulder of the road, and makes a beeline for me. I leap. I'm bobbing and weaving, dodging. The ice doesn't hit me. If I'd been running with traffic, the ice would have hit me and either impaled me, broken a leg, broken an ankle, done something. It would have significantly hurt me, if not killed me. So please, clean the snow off your car so I don't die when I go for a run. Although I don't go for runs these days. Something about you know being in my mid-30s. But anyway, none of this matters. Except for you don't want to hurt people. You don't want to break people's windshields and cause accidents on 695. So clean the snow off your car. This is our last show before spring training, Zach. Um, it's coming. It's, it's the pitchers and catches report on Tuesday and the first workout is on Wednesday. And then the following Monday is the first full squad workout. What are you looking forward to the most from spring training this year? I think it's always the competition. I think that's always the most exciting part for me. Just seeing who makes it through, seeing who plays well enough and there's always going to be a, a surprised guy that comes out of all of this there's going to be a guy who hits you know 390 in spring training it was Anthony Santander two years ago there's always going to be a guy who, who's going to blow you away and I think that's the most fun part of it for everyone I'm hoping that you know the Orioles decide to broadcast a few of them I'm hoping that uh, when they go to an away team like the Pirates or the Twins or uh, some teams they're playing I hope they air the games because I'd love to see it because I you know a guy like Jemai Jones that's a guy that I, I'd love to watch in, in spring training and just see what he does. See who comes out of this. That's, that's really what I'm excited for. Yeah, it seems like Rio Ruiz is a guy that always has a big spring, right? Like, he, he does. He, he does. always has a big spring. Each of the last two years, he's had a phenomenal spring training and then kind of duds out in, in the regular season. And Look, I, 
I, I've said it many times before. I have a special place in my heart for Rio Ruiz because I got engaged in a skybox at Camden Yards in 2019, and he hit the Orioles' only walk-off home run of the year. That year, it was, it was, a, it was a walk-off home run. Was it a grand slam? Uh, I think it was a three-run home run. Uh, but it was a walk-off home run, nonetheless, against the Houston Astros that day. And it's funny because Anthony Santander in that game had a huge gaffe in the eighth inning where he got a ball down. He, he went to field a ball down the right field line. He picked it up and went to throw it in, and the ball th- flew out of the back of his hand and went straight backwards. Not it, his finest moment. Yeah, definitely not his finest moment. Um, and It, it could have cost the Orioles a game if not for the Rio Ruiz walk-off homer in the ninth. But so he holds a special place in my heart. But he he's leaving a lot to be desired. He goes into these extended hitting slumps. Now, now there are times when he gets so hot that he can carry a team for a few days. And we saw that on, on multiple occasions in 2020. But he has these extended slumps and then he takes it into the field with him. You know, so I'm interested to see a competition where can Jamai Jones maybe play second base? Can Yomer Sanchez slide over to third, and maybe we don't have to see Rio Ruiz five games a week? Maybe. I mean, I you know, Rio's going to have to prove a lot to me that he's a major league player because he still doesn't really prove that. You know, sometimes he'll go on a tear, like you said, and he looks like the real deal. You know, I, I think in July he came out of the gates absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. He was batting, I think it was like 350 and six home runs by the time it was August, midway through August. So he was killing the ball, and then he stopped. And then when he stops, he gets really bad. And like you said, he carries it into the field. His defense is overall fine. You know, it, it, it can go from really good to not so good. But his defense is overall fine. That's not really what the, the problem I have with him as much as just that He's just not a very good hitter, and he's so streaky. It reminds me of Tim Beckham a lot. Tim Beckham would always go on these massive tears and then just shut it down completely. And Tim Beckham was a better player, just saying that, but Rio Ruiz does the same thing. And, and you know, he's going to have to prove more in spring training. Yeah, it's and, and you're interested to see if Rylan Bannon can come up and make a case for himself because he's got a it, – it seems like he has a better glove and a better arm over at third base. Um, and if he can hit a little bit better – uh, he could put himself in a platoon. Uh, if not a platoon, he could take over at third base. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen at third base. Now, something else is interesting going on right now. Uh, the Orioles and the Maryland Stadium Authority agreed to a two-year lease extension through December t- uh, 31st, 2023. They can pick up a five-year option, but the option must be picked up by February 1st, 2023, or they forfeit the option. Now, some Orioles fans are up in arms because we've been waiting for this 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 new lease and it's only two years. And so people think, uh-oh, it's only two years. The Orioles are going to Nashville. The Orioles are going to Las Vegas. I read this article, and it was in the Baltimore Sun, I believe. I read this article, and what I took from it is that this isn't a new lease. This is an right. extension of the original lease. And so basically what it's doing is it's giving the Orioles and the Maryland Stadium Authority more time to negotiate a, a new long-term lease. And what comes along with a new, with a new long-term lease, renovations and upgrades to the ballpark. They want to have the ballpark be a year-round facility. Even when the Orioles aren't playing, they can have concerts there and whatnot. So this is, this is a big deal, and you have... You have one side possibly negotiating as if the COVID wasn't a thing, whereas the other side is negotiating knowing full well that we're in the middle of a pandemic and there's not as much money. So it's just one of those things where it's an extension. It's not a new lease. It's just giving the two sides more time to negotiate the new long-term lease. Uh, there's nothing to freak out about. You know, no, and no. You have to take – and look, I know that people are – 
you know, disenchanted with Peter Angelos. And I get it. There, there's a number of reasons why they sh- why they could be, not necessarily should be. Um, but the Suns, they haven't John and Lewis. They haven't given anybody a reason not to trust them. So you have to take them at their word. And their word was uh, in the summer of 2019. The Orioles will remain in Baltimore as long as Fort McHenry stands watch over Baltimore. I have no reason to believe that's not the case. And here's the other thing, folks. Here's the other thing. Camden Yards, they're not just going to blow that stadium up, right? So as long as Camden Yards is in Baltimore, down next to the Inner Harbor, there's going to be Major League Baseball in Baltimore. It's it's a cathedral. It is the ballpark that forever changed baseball. So the second that you start to think, oh, the Orioles are moving out, they're shipping out, they're relocating— no, they're not. No, they're not. All you got to do is look at Camden Yards and know that there will always be Major League Baseball in Baltimore. Yeah, and, and the two years, what really this signals to me is that, you know, maybe the Orioles are under the assumption that Peter Angelos and, and the Suns might be gone in two years. That could definitely be the case. Yeah. If a new ownership group takes over in two years, they might want to negotiate their own lease. They could negotiate a new 30-year lease, which was the original lease uh, from the 1990s. So, you know, I think this is fine. You know, I'm not really worried about this. We get the Orioles in Baltimore for two more years for now, and then they're going to probably sign a massive, you know, hopefully 10-plus year lease after that. So, well, no I worries. Mean, no worries. You, you look at this lease. The original lease was 30 years. Right. It was, yep. uh, it was signed. Uh, the first season was 1992. Yep. It's 2021. It was a 30, it's a 30-year lease. It was, it was going to be up at the end of this year, 30 years. So, you'd expect something along the same lines, 20 to 30 yeah. years after this Baltimore Orioles baseball is going to be Baltimore Orioles baseball for the foreseeable future. So stop freaking out. Two years doesn't mean anything. It's just an extension to get uh, extra time for negotiations. Getting to more um, prominent things as far as the on-field team, Baseball America ranked the Orioles farm system seventh overall. It's the highest ranking the Orioles have ever had by Baseball America. Of course, this is led led by uh, the top. The team has five Prospects in their top 100, Adley Rutschman coming in at number two, Grayson Rodriguez at 22, D.L. Hall at 59, Heston Kersat at 62 despite having yet to see a uh, professional pitch, and Ryan Mountcastle at 63 because he only had 126 at-bats last year, so he didn't qualify um, to break rookie status. Baseball America said, in the 37 years of Baseball America farm system rankings, this is the Orioles' highest ever rank. Yes, the O's had the number one pick in the 2019 draft and picked second in 2020, but it's a new emphasis on Latin America and better depth that has them climbing the ranks. Zach, were you surprised to see them ranked as high as seventh? No, I, I think that's around exactly what they should be. You know, seven, eight, uh, maybe even six you can make an argument for. There's a lot of good farm systems out there right now. Obviously, the Orioles aren't the Rays. They're just not that level yet. You know, the Rays are one of the greatest farm systems of all time, you could say. But I think, in my opinion, this is the best Orioles farm system maybe of all time. It could be. Obviously, in the 60s and 70s, there were a lot of good prospects coming up. You know, obviously, Jim Palmer, Brooks Robinson all came through the Orioles farm. But, you know, this is one of the best the Orioles have had in a long, long time. Seventh is a really, really solid rank. And Mike Elias has just done a great job. Obviously, there's guys like Adley Rutschman and Heston Kerstad and Grayson Rodriguez who are at the top, but you also have to consider all of the extensive pitching depth the Orioles have. You know, Kevin Smith, Zach Lowther, Alex Wells, guys like this, 
you know, they're not top-level prospects, they're not premier prospects, but they're guys that provide so much depth, and that's what makes this organization rank so highly. And then you look at some of these players that have come over to the Orioles in trades, and you look at right. them, uh, Kevin Smith was like a top-12 prospect for the Rockies, and uh, not for the Rockies, for the Mets, yeah. and then he comes to the Orioles and he's in the 20s. Uh, you look at Jemai Jones, who comes over in that trade for Alex Cobb. He was the seventh-best prospect for the Angels, at one point he was their number one prospect. For the Orioles, he's 19th. So it, it, you have to really see how far this team has come. And this is without Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg making the rankings. Mike Rosenbaum of MLD.com said Gunnar Henderson was on the cusp of making the top 100 after a standout performance at the alternate training site while being the youngest player there. He said that he already has an impact left-handed bat and will only add more power as he grows into his ultra-athletic and projectable 6'3", 195-pound frame. He also stated that his size leads to questions about his ability to stick at shortstop, but the Orioles are confident that he can stay there, and if not, there's little doubt that he can play third base or center field. So Gunnar Henderson is probably a few months away, a few months of solid baseball away from making that midseason top 100 prospects list. It's unbelievable to see everyone talking about that that uh, performance at the alternate training site because it sounds like he was absolutely, really incredible. I mean, we've heard it from Jim Callis. We've heard it from Mike Rosenbaum. We've heard it from so many guys that have come out and said how great he was. So he must have really been an incredible standout player. Obviously, we know what Adley Rutschman did there. Ryan Malcastle was tearing the cover off the ball there. But Gunnar Henderson is not those guys' age. He's 19 years old. He's a lot less polished of a prospect and he hasn't even played any college ball at all he's a high school draft pick so to see him having this incredible performance I, I'm going to really be excited to see what he does at Aberdeen or Delmarva this year um, you know getting some real professional at-bats that's going to be awesome to see he's probably going to be in that top 100 very soon yeah Gunnar Henderson uh, it really did well for himself last year got off to a slow start at the alternate training site, according to reports, but then really called up and showed to be one of the better players at that site down in Bowie last summer. Um, so that's that's super exciting uh, for the Orioles because that could be the again we've mentioned this in shows past. The Orioles have a long, proud history of great shortstops. All you have to do is look at Cal Ripken and Mark Belanger and J.J. Hardy and Miguel Tejada. Even though that's a, a sore subject for some people here, uh, the Orioles are known for having high quality top-of-the-game shortstops. Gunnar Henderson, I think, is another one in in, in that long line to continue that for the Orioles. Now, ESPN also just recently put out their top 100 rankings done by Kylie McDaniel. He only had four Orioles prospects in top five. Again, Rutschman at number two, Grayson Rodriguez at 30, Ryan Mountcastle at number 93, and D.L. Hall at number 97. Heston Kerstad missing, and I understand. I, I, I was surprised to see Kerstad put into these top 100 rankings by most publications because he hasn't played yet. He hasn't played. But when you're the number two overall pick, you're probably a top 100 prospect. Um, I was surprised to see D.L. Hall so low. 97. I was very surprised because everybody seems to think he's a, he's a mid-50s, early-60s type of player. Um, are you surprised by the low ranking there for he and for Mountcastle after Mountcastle came up and hit 333 with a 383 on base percentage. Yeah, I Mountcastle in my eyes is a top 50 prospect. Call me a homer, call me whatever you want as far as that goes, but Ryan Mountcastle is one of the best bats in the minors. I will stand by that. He obviously has a lot of defensive questions. He's not, you know, he doesn't really have a great defined position. He can play a little bit of left, can play a little bit of first, but his bat is incredible, and it showed that at the major league level. He's hit everywhere he's gone. Every single he's hit le- at every level. He's hit at every single level. 
to put him at 93, I mean, that's it's obviously all opinion, and Kylie can have whatever opinion he wants, but I, I think that's a little bit too low. He's a top 50 prospect. As far as D.L. Hall goes, um, you know, it, it, he does have some questions about throwing strikes. We've heard that a little bit. Um, he walks too many guys at this point in his career, but that's why he's a prospect. He's going to get better. The Orioles are going to have a full season, hopefully, of the, in the minors for him to work through this year. And, you know, I, I think he should probably be in the 60s, but I don't have a terrible problem with 97. Well, D.L. Hall, to his credit, the walk issues really only cropped up in his last minor league yep. season in 2019. And it, yep. it, it, it's because he started feeling himself. He started thinking, I can blow a 97, 98 mile per hour fastball. And, and he can, for by the these guys. Part. So he, and, and he did. He misses yep. a ton of bats, right? I think his, his swing and miss percentage is like 29% or something like that. He, he's. He misses a ton of bats, but he gets away from himself because he tries to overpower guys. And he can, but he needs to trust his natural stuff. That leads us right into, before we get to your sounding off segment, leads us right into Keith Wall's ranking of the Orioles' farm system. And he has Yikes. Him, he has him ranked 18th overall. He has Adley Rutschman ranked 6th. He is the only publication that has Adley Rutschman ranked below 2. He had Grayson Rodriguez ranked 55th, the lowest I've seen in any publication, D.L. Hawley is ranked 49th, the highest I've seen him. He had Heston Kerstad ranked 85th, and Mountcastle not even in his top 100. Uh, especially, which is weird to me, after the season Mountcastle just had, uh, and again, he's hit at every level, it was shocking to me to see Mountcastle not even in his top 100. But he, he seems to think that, that Grayson Rodriguez has this pause in his delivery that causes him some power, and he has, he has cross-body action in his delivery. And this is a, uh, a hill that Keith Law has been dying on yes. since Rodriguez got, got drafted. I'm interested to talk to—we um, have Kyle Glazer from Baseball America coming up at 11.35 today. I'm interested to see if he sees what Keith Law sees. Yeah, I, I haven't really seen too many other people say this about Grayson Rodriguez. Now, obviously, again, he's a prospect. He's got things to work on. He's going to have to work through some things. But I haven't really seen any other— person really questioned the delivery of Grayson Rodriguez and not only that Grayson Rodriguez has been extremely effective with it it's not mm -hmm. like he's pitching to a five ERA he's been pitching in the twos all the way throughout his minor league career so you can tell it's working for him and it's a, if it's working for him the Orioles aren't going to change it unless there's an injury risk or something like that that comes along with it as far as Ryan Malcastle goes I, I just said it you know it, it doesn't really make any sense you've, you've got to have that guy in your top 100 and not only that one of the big knocks on Ryan Mountcastle was that he couldn't walk. He couldn't get on base at a high clip. He walked a ton of times in his Major League debut. You know, he came up and clearly showed that at the alternate training site, he worked on patience, he worked on taking pitches, and it, it showed. You know, he, he, he was quite good, had a high on-base percentage, and I hope that continues in the 2021 season. You know, it, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Adley Rutschman ranks six. That's eh, a little bit low. Whatever. Not going to have too much of a problem with that. But then, really... What confuses me about Keith Law's entire rankings is number 18 for the Orioles. He ranked four top 100 prospects for the Orioles, and he ranks them 18th. That just doesn't make sense to me. This is a team that's definitely in the top 10. You, I don't think it's even you know hard to argue that at all. It, they are definitely a top 10 organizational it, farm system. It really is all opinion-based, right? It, it is. And if it that's is. his opinion, now there are people who think that Keith Law has a serious issue with the Orioles. I'm not privy to what happened with, between he and the Orioles. Uh, maybe there's, there's something to be said for that. I'm not 100% sure, but... It, it's all subjective for sure, and I, you know, it, it's his opinion. It, and honestly... Yeah, all you need to know is that the Orioles have a ton of talent in yeah. their farm system. But when it comes to rankings, it's really like power rankings. You know what I mean? It's 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 
it's opinion. You have these teams ranked based on your opinion of the team, and it's up to these prospects to perform to either live up to exceed or fall short of these expectations. So uh, before we get to your sounding off, and we're running a little bit long here in the intro, uh, for the rest of the show today, we have Stan the Fan Charles at 1020 uh, from BaltimoreBaseball.com, Rich Dubroff at 1050, and then we have Orioles Banter at 1120. Uh, we're going to talk, give you a little bit of a spring training preview. And then 11.35, we have the national baseball writer for Baseball America. Uh, that is Kyle Glazer. He'll be joining us at 11.35. Now, Zach, you want to talk a little bit about a guy who I've never been a fan of. I, I, I felt like he is a, a an unapologetic Red Sox homer, and that's Peter Gammons. And he wrote his AL East preview uh, the other day and failed to make mention of the Orioles even in passing, and you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I want to start off with something before that, because I do want to talk about Prakata projections. They project who's gonna. Uh, they project records for the for every upcoming season. They projected the Orioles at sixty six and ninety six, and they projected the Red Sox at eighty and eighty two. So that would be fourteen wins ahead of the Orioles. But let's not forget the Orioles came in fourth place. The Red Sox came in fifth in the twenty twenty truncated season. Obviously, it was only sixty games, but the Orioles did outperform the Red Sox. Now, the Red Sox just traded Andrew Benintendi. This team is probably worse. Chris Sale's coming off an injury. You really don't know how he's going to pitch. Eduardo Rodriguez is coming off a heart issue and coming off of COVID. You don't know how he's going to pitch. You don't really have much of a starting rotation behind that. Nathan Evaldi's not very good. You know, I mean, he's okay. He, he's a fine pitcher, but he's not, you know, not an ace. And then the lineup has a lot of questions. You don't have Mookie Betts anymore. You don't have Andrew Benintendi anymore. Devers is great, but, you know, still a lot of questions there. So to, to rank, to give a projection that they're going to win 14 more games than the Orioles, it, it just kind of boggles my mind a little bit when they lost one more game more than the Orioles in 2020. So it just doesn't make sense there. And then Peter Gammons decided to write an article this week for The Athletic that talked about the AL East preview, he talked about the Yankees, he talked about the Rays, he talked about the Jays, and then he wrote a whole couple paragraphs on the Red Sox and why they're going to be a little bit better than they were last year. And they could be, but not one mention of the Orioles. Not one. And, and this is just, it, it keeps my narrative up of that the Orioles just never get recognized by the media at all for what they're doing. They're, they're building this great talent system. They're now ranked inside the top 10 of farm systems by many publications, but not one mentioned that, hey, they're getting better. This could be a 70-win team and possibly a playoff team in 2022. I, I think you have to start including the Orioles in some of these ALEs talks. Well, no, I, I agree with you, especially if they did finish ahead of the Red Sox last year. Now, let's... Right. A seventy-win team is still a ninety-two loss team, right? And, so that, that's, it's it's definitely. nothing to brag about. But when you're when you have a team that lost one hundred and fifteen games and then one hundred and eight games, they're getting better. For, they're 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 getting better, yeah. but they're still not a great baseball team. Now I can understand because Nathan Navaldi is probably a better pitcher than just about everybody in the Orioles rotation. Not named John that's Means. Um, you're getting Eduardo Rodriguez back, who had who had nineteen wins in twenty nineteen. Uh, you're getting Chris Sale back in June. You got, you added Garrett Richards to the rotation. The bullpen leaves a lot to be desired, but you did leave out the fact that the lineup also still has Xander Bogarts, and the lineup, yeah, they, the lineup still has J.D. Martinez, who was, had a down year in 2020, but he's still J.D. Martinez. He's still a bat that you have to fear and respect. Uh, the Red Sox are probably going to be better than the Orioles this year, but are they going to be so much better that you don't even mention the Orioles in your? It's an AL East preview, and you're doing this for if you're doing this for a Boston Boston newspaper for the Boston Globe, okay. Maybe you don't have to mention the Orioles because they're not going to factor into the AL East uh, as far as the division is concerned. However, 
this is a national publication. This is the athletic that you're writing this for, right? It's the athletic that you wrote this for, right? Right. And you are you work for MLB Network. You're Peter Gammons. Everybody knows who Peter Gammons is, even the most casual baseball fans. It is your responsibility if you're writing an AL East preview to cover every AL East team. Sixty six wins or ninety wins, you right? Ha- you have to. And mention. this is like last year. Who who was the guy? Something Miller. Um, I can't even remember his first name. That's how little... He said they wouldn't win 10 games. He said they yeah. wouldn't win 10 games. It goes along these lines where... Or you read these power rankings, you get to the Orioles at 30, and they basically say, the Orioles are the Orioles. And it's it's an irresponsible thing to do. You're not doing your job. How the editors of The Athletic let Peter Gammons get away with this, because he's Peter Gammons, and I get it, he's 75, he's been around for a thousand years. You know, I, I, I get that. But do your job. Do your job. And it's not that we want... The Orioles be showing favoritism. We don't want people to overvalue Agreed. Yep. The, the Orioles, but mention them because it's your job. The AL East has five teams, not four. Uh, with that in mind, uh, Peter Gammons has been around for a long time, and Stan Charles has been around just about as long as Peter Gammons. I want to get Stanton's take on this about the Orioles kind of being neglected yet again. Stan, how are you today? I'm very good, guys. How you doing, Zach? Doing good, Stan. Good. That steam coming out of your ears, man. Yeah, I, I I don't like to see the uh, the Orioles disrespected as much as this. Seems like it's been a been a good pattern over this last week. So you know, had to talk about it. Well, uh, you know, uh, it's it, it. I don't think it'll be uh, you know bulletin board stuff for the uh, for Brandon Hyde to uh, to to exhort his team to more victories than they're capable of. So yeah, uh, no. We, I, I, I I agree. I don't think it's anything that's gonna. It, it suddenly makes the Orioles an 85 win team instead of a 70 win team. But I, what is the deal with these these national publications allowing their writers to get away with either not talking about the Orioles at all, or just giving a little blurb to kind of poke fun and, and beat a dead horse? What's what's well, the deal uh, with this happening? It, are the Orioles the only team out of the 30 in Major League Baseball that you didn't mention, or was this only in American League East? Uh... American League East. It's an American yeah. League East preview, and he mentions four of the five teams. Yeah. Uh, you look, the athletics sure seems like when Dan Connolly writes, they've got plenty of space, so I don't think it was a space issue. Um, it was They chose to ignore the Orioles. You know, they look at the, the offseason they've had, and it's uh, realistically, it's a pretty, it's a pretty bleak offseason yeah. for the Orioles this year. Well, yeah, certainly. So, it's, I, I'm it's, not... I'm not defending it. I'm not up in arms about it. But uh, Zach, I don't. I don't think the Orioles are are moving close to being a 70 win team this season in yeah. this division. You you could be right. There's a lot of question marks about their rotation. They have two rookies that are filling out the top three, and then we don't know who else is. We have assumptions, uh, but we don't know who else is going to be in that rotation. I think at the end of the day, what upsets Zach the most about it is that the Athletics behind a paywall. You have to pay five, six bucks a month to read the mm-hmm. athletic, and so you have people that are you have Orioles fans that are paying to, to read this publication, and then right. your ALEs preview they're not you don't they don't even get talked about. And if you're charging people to read your publication, you need to do your job and cover every team that you're supposed to cover. And I think that's where the ire comes in. Okay, I mean you know, but I I get it, I get it. Anyway, moving on. Now, the Orioles, uh, Stan, they've reached a lease extension. It's important that we note that it's a lease extension uh, mm-hmm. with the with the Maryland Stadium Authority. It's a two-year extension on the original lease uh, with a five-year option that has to be picked up by February 2023 or they lose it. 
A lot of fans up in arms because they think that this is a sign that the Orioles are relocating. What can you say to kind of kind of squash that and kind of you know breathe some life back into these fans who were terrified that this team is moving? Um, I don't get any great sense that people are terrified that the Orioles are, are moving. Uh, you know, they 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 weren't obligated to even sign a couple year extension. You know, this is a this is a sign that this is not the right time for a baseball team that's, you know, that facility was built by the state um, to, to be talking about the kind of changes that the Orioles and the uh, stadium authority were talking about. You know, the Orioles were looking to, to do a major sort of rehabilitation and restructure of Camden Yards, you know, probably knock the attendance down to of a capacity from 45,000 to like about 37,000, uh, make more facilities within the ballpark, you know, places to eat and things of that nature. They were going to, they were talking about, you know, a multi million dollar uh, renovation of, of Camden Yards and a restructure of the facility. And nobody's got the appetite for that right now. So that, that's really what's behind that. Stan, do you think? And I'm not concerned that the Orioles are are moving in the least. I think I, I think this is this is something that needed to be just put on put on pause for probably uh, twelve to fifteen months before they 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 have a sense of what they're going to be able to do, what they need to do. It might end up being more of a five year plan that they institute once they sign a new lease to restructure the ballpark, uh, renovate the ballpark, and, and, and get it a little bit more modern looking for the future. Now, Stan, we had heard probably around a year ago now that the Orioles were working on about a 10-year lease. That was what they were talking about. Obviously, this is an extension of the current one, the current 30-year yep. lease. Do you think that the extension and not an actual new lease signals the chance that there could be new ownership coming in the next two years? This is something I, I think is definitely possible. I think it's definitely, I think it's not probable, but I think it's certainly possible, and that that is a... That's a great point you make there, Zach, that, uh, you know, a new owner would want to negotiate that for themselves, you know, what type of changes they want and that, those kind of things. You know, I remember when that ballpark was built, um, you know, the original lease to that ballpark was was 20 years. Uh, and then within about six weeks of the first season starting, may have even been two or three weeks of the season starting, the ballpark was such a smash success that Larry Lucchino, who ran the team at the time, he was the president of the ball club uh, by the time it opened, they renegotiated and added 10 more years to that lease. That's the way I recall it, that it was a 20 that the Orioles took to 30. Yeah, it, it, it certainly was a 30-year lease, and it, it's we, we, and there's reason. There, there's reason for that. It was, again, the, the ballpark that forever changed baseball, a beautiful retro-style ballpark, and they had they were averaging 3 million fans a year from the time that they opened the ballpark through the mid to late 90s, uh, so you can understand why they would, they would bring out the extension. Now, Stan, again, you mentioned that this is not the time during a pandemic to agree to a to a monstrous uh, new lease. But this is something that is more than likely coming. Um, but it also has to do with there's going to be a lot of renovations and a lot of upgrades 
to this ballpark. And do you think that that's kind of what one of the holdups is, is that they're, they're talking about how much money they're going to put into this ballpark in the future? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's I think that's the largest part of it. You know, is how much how much money uh, there's going to be for 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 those kind of things. You know, look, I think we all realize that there's going to be a come to Jesus meeting uh, between the MLBPA and Major League Baseball as to sort of the the level of payment that players are going to make. Well, this is along those same lines. I mean, the ground is shifting underneath everyone's feet, you know, um, the Angelos family, uh, you know, is not going to suffer, uh, you know, they're not going to go without any meals nor any major league baseball teams. But, but I will tell you this, that, uh, the payrolls in major league baseball are going to be taking a big step backwards in the next, in the next agreement, or there's going to be a major, uh, you know, work stoppage. Uh, going into 2022. Yeah, I, I think that a work stop. It, it seems like these 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 uh, two sides can't seem to get on the same page. I think that a work stoppage is fairly likely at this point in time. I would I would agree with that. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're hoping that's not the case. But and you mentioned payrolls are going to have to go down significantly, and this is right after you're mentioning this right after uh, Trevor ba- Trevor yeah Trevor Bauer signs a contract where he's making forty million dollars this year and forty five million dollars next year. This is an absurd amount of money, forty plus million dollars for professional athletes to go out and play a game. Look, I get it; they they do something that less than one percent of the entire world's population can do. So I understand them getting paid, but forty five million dollars to throw a baseball every fifth day—it just seems like seems like a lot of money to do to do not too much. Yep. But, uh, you know, entertainers, uh, you know, and that's what baseball players and basketball players are, football players, they're entertainers. And uh, they can get what the market will bear on an individual basis. But collectively, you've been seeing for the last four or five years just a continued squeeze uh, to fund those few players that make that. Um, The industry is squeezing the marginal players down to, you know, to virtually, I won't say nothing, but uh, it's not a given that a Major League Baseball player is going to be rich for life now, Uh, whereas 15, 20 years ago, that is the direction it had moved to, that if you became an established Major League ball, Ball player, there were all kinds of markers in the sand, you know, that you've reached this this stage and now ownership has figured out this how to squeeze the marginal ball player yeah it, it seems like and it's also the owners have so much control for so long I mean once a once a player hits the majors they you have six to seven years of control over this player now do you think that this is something that that is going to be addressed in the new collective bargaining agreement, something that could be a major sticking point for both sides, where the owners are going to want to have that six, seven years of control, and the players are going to say, no, let's bring it down to about three, maybe four years, so that they have more control over their finances moving forward. Yeah, I think that that's going to be one of the, uh, you know, that's going to be one of the things that where the rubber hits the road is that, that conversation. Yeah, I certainly agree with you there. Uh, now, moving on to some uh, other on-field topics here. Yeah, the Red Sox just traded Andrew Benintendi to the Royals. This is, to me, this is like a big fall for a player who was a Rookie of the Year runner-up in 2017, finished a spot ahead of Trey Mancini. He went from being a key cog in the 2018 World Championship team to a player it seemed like they couldn't wait 
to get rid of. They got Franchi Cordero, who has a ton of power uh, from the left side of the plate, um, but is unproven. Royals get a replacement for Alex Gordon. What is the downfall of Andrew Benintendi here? What happened to this player? I I don't think it's quite as much. I mean, I know it's easy to characterize it that way, and and it is to a certain extent. But I think it's the it's sort of the Red Sox uh, under Chaim Bloom doing a kind of a reset uh, and saying we need to get we already need to get younger, and we don't have that much in the organization. So they took a flyer on picking up this pitcher from uh, what was he originally from Toronto. He went from Toronto to the Mets, I think, um, John Winkowski. And uh, they'll get another player in the deal, I think, from the Mets directly for Benintendi along with uh, Frankie Cordero. Yeah, so it, I, I think it's like a little bit of a, a reset. Um, I think they started to look at how they're going to spend spend what they have. They might re-up uh, Jackie Bradley on a deal. Um so, uh, you know, for the Royals, it looks, you know, the Royals have quietly had a very interesting offseason this year. And that shows, that's one of the things, you know, they, they have a new ownership there that wants to put a good face on things. And they've quietly spent some money. They picked up Mike Miner. They picked up Carlos Santana. And now this trade of Benintende makes a, a an improving Royals team uh, improve even more improved. You know, they they were sort of neck and neck with the Orioles when their rebuild started, and I would say we'd, we'd agree that they've taken a kind of a detour now and are, are at least trying to, to contend uh, or, or be relevant in their division where the Orioles have, gotten to the point where Peter Gammons doesn't include them in American League East preview. Well, Stan, you already mentioned it, that the Orioles were, were good around the same time as the Royals were in, in the early 2010s, and then they both started rebuilding in the late 2010s at the same time, and now it seems like the Royals have jumped a little bit ahead of the Orioles in the rebuild. Would you like to see the Orioles do what the Royals just did and trade some of the depth of prospects they have in their organization to start acquiring more talent, or still would you wait a little bit longer? Well, I, I got to tell you, uh, of all the moves that I'm very disappointed about, I, I have a feeling this um, acquisition by the Rays of Colin McHugh uh, for $1.8 million, yeah. that's what's got my ire or my dander up, is that the Orioles couldn't pick up a pitcher with that upside for $1.8 million, and yet the general manager talks that he's still in the market for pitching. Um you can't get, you can't find me a better deal than Colin McHugh at one point eight million dollars, and it's just sort of sad that the Orioles' rebuild is so severe right now, and the shortage of money is so severe that they wouldn't be able to add Colin McHugh. Now, again, the Orioles maybe the Orioles would have had to pay two point two million right. for Colin McHugh because. Uh, the Rays are a much better stop-off point right now for him. But it's just sort of sad that they, they didn't have the money to go after somebody like that, who I think, you know, in other words, I, I get where they are now, and Mike Miner probably got like 7 or $8 million a year, I think. Uh, but, but to not have $1.8 million to, 
to contend with the Rays is very frustrating, especially after trading Alex Cobb. You know, uh, that's part of the negotiation that they had with the Angels was, you know, having to pick up that $10 million was significant. You know, had they only had to pick up $5 million, uh, they might have had that money. Yeah, it's... um... Colin McHugh is definitely a guy that we've all targeted here in Baltimore, especially when he signed with the Red Sox before the pandemic last year for $600,000. He seemed like a perfect fit for the Orioles. But like you said, Stan, if the the offers are the same, if the Orioles have $1.8 million on the table, if the Rays have $1.8 million on the table, you're going to the Rays. If you're a veteran pitcher, you're going to the Rays. They just pitched in the world. They just played in the World Series. You know they're offering you the same money, and they win. The one thing games that they that the Orioles could offer him, though, <clears throat> above the Rays is, and I'm not saying that he won't be a starting pitcher for the Rays, but the Orioles could have said, "Hey, we we if you're healthy, we guarantee you a spot in the rotation." Yeah, yeah. The I, Rays, you know, with the Rays situation, he could be a starter on Monday and an opener on Friday and a long man on the following Wednesday. You know, they're, they're all over the map with how they use their talent. Yeah, I just want to make a note because Mike Elias at a press conference yesterday and said that the Orioles are still in the market. That is their number one priority right now is to get I mean, another well, What kind of starter. money are they talking about? They're I, talking I, about $700,000 right, or $800,000. Which, which is yeah. going to get you a Wade LeBlanc, but it's not going to get you a Colin McHugh. So yeah, I, I would spend a little more, try to get something that balances it out a little bit for sure. Yeah, the only, the only guy that's – look, there's probably – 10, 12 names that I'd still take over Wade LeBlanc right now, you know, yeah. and be a little bit enthused about. But the the one name that I think if he's healthy is Matt Shoemaker. That's the uh, name I've been but, mentioning for yeah. a few weeks. What's that? That's the name I've been mentioning for a few weeks. He's out there. He hasn't been healthy since 2016, but is effective when he is healthy. Yep. And that's a guy who, at this point, he might just be looking to find a team and get into spring training for yep. a full spring training. Yeah, he could be a, a Dan Straley type of uh, signing at this point in time. How, yeah. how cheap do we think Taiwan Walker could come? Because that would be an interesting move. I think he's looking more in the in the higher ranges than the Orioles would be willing to pay. Yeah, that, I, that is a good I, start I agree. I think Shoemaker is about at the bottom of the barrel where the Orioles possibly could get him for a million dollars. But, you know, the Orioles, it's interesting. We both agree that McHugh, we could have offered him a rotation spot. They still seem like they want that flexibility to not have to put the person on the major league roster. That's one of the things that's, uh, you know, that seems to be at play right now. They did say, however, that they that they have major league offers out that they are willing to give a major yeah, league yeah. offer out for the right for the right pitcher. So I, I would, and you mentioned Dan Straley. I would have to think that Shoemaker would be better yeah, than Dan here. Straley. I mean, it's hard not to be. The guy gave up. Uh, what was it like? Eighteen home runs in in twenty nine innings. It was something yeah, but he, absolutely he, absurd. He, he was not that type of pitcher when the Orioles got him. You yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, and and one of the things again that plays into pitchers. And I'm not saying that Colin McHugh got the offer and turned it down because of Camden Yards. It's not when you're on a one year deal. Camden Yards is not really the place you yeah. want to pitch. And Dan Straley's time with the Orioles, which was probably, and guys, you know, I've been around a little longer than you. I've seen an awful lot of Oriole pitching over the years. It may be the worst performance over a, an eight-week period that I've ever seen by an Oriole pitcher. Yeah, he was. And yet, absolutely he horrendous. went to 
He went to, I believe, Korea uh, and put up very good numbers last year. And I think we're up with the Korean team for two years, I think. Yeah, it, it seems to be a little bit easier. It's kind of like facing double-A competition. The baseball is also a little bit smaller uh, in, yep. in the KBO, so I can understand him having a little bit more success. I mean, guys like Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson are having success over in Korea. So that's that's yeah. understandable. Now, Stan, before we let you go, yeah. um, the Orioles claimed pitcher Ashton Godot off waivers from the Pirates back in December. He had a 207 ERA and 16 starts for AA Hartford in 2019. Now, he, had, he left a lot to be desired in seasons prior to that, uh, but nobody talks about him. In the, in the rotation competition, where does he stand uh, coming into spring training? Does he have uh, an outside shot don't know, in this rotation? Don't know an awful lot about him. i, I got to just be blunt. I oh, that's do okay. not know that much about him. Uh, I'll ne- tell you the, the <laughs> one guy that was interesting this week. Uh, if you go back to uh, the Orioles traded Zach Britton to the New York Yankees in 2018. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was, a, there was a, uh, an effort to trade him. Uh, in 17 to the Houston Astros. The Astros, in fact, really thought they were going to acquire him from the Orioles. And one of the guys that the Orioles were trying to get in that trade was a young Derek Fisher, uh, who at the time looked like he was about to burst on and be a phenomenal prospect. His major league numbers are uh, very, you know, beyond pedestrian. They're, They're very poor. But he was at one time, just three, three and a half years ago, was considered an elite prospect in the Astros organization. That's Derek Fisher, who was just a DFA by the, uh, by the Toronto Blue Jays. That's a guy that, that with ties to Houston with Mike Elias and Sigma Dell, that's a guy uh, It was a power-hitting outfield prospect. Um, that's a guy he wasn't quite a power hit. I was just looking at his numbers before he, he went on the air. But he, he looked like he he looked like he could steal bases in the twenties and he he actually, you know, he had the one year where he hit twenty one doubles and twenty one home runs. But the thing that stood out to me in all those seasons there for a two or three year period was his own base percentage until he got to the major leagues. Um I had him as a sort of an igniter at the top of the order back then. I really wanted him in in that Zach Britton trade, uh, and the club elected not to make it. Now, you can never have too much depth, that's for sure, but with the yeah. Orioles' plethora of outfield options in the upper minors and at the major league level, does this, would an acquisition of or a signing of Derek Fisher really make sense for the ball club? Um, you know, I, I guess overall not. It was the combination. It was sort of the. I guess it was the relationship with Elias. You would think that Elias would be uh, sort of a fan of his. Yeah, it makes sense. And but and the Orioles have no true leadoff hitter. We don't. I mean, we're looking at maybe Austin Hayes, who seems to do better when he hits lower in the order. So I, it would make sense if that guy could come in and compete to be the leadoff hitter for the Orioles. And Cedric Mullins, you know, had a nice had a nice twenty twenty season, but it, it was a small sample size. And he seems more to profile as a fourth outfielder, so it could be a nice competition, a nice uh, camp competition if he would be brought in. But that remains to be seen. Hey, one real quick thing before you let me go: uh, were, were you guys, any of you, aware of this situation with uh, Keston uh, Hurstead? I was um, because I had heard there were problems, but I had heard they were more of performance anxiety issues, this myocarditis 
is not something that's a small uh, situation. So yeah. I knew about this a couple of months ago, um, yeah. but I didn't say anything because uh, my, my fiance is a respiratory therapist and she okay. knows some people who took care of him. And they told okay. her and she told me, but it wasn't my place to put him out there. Yeah. So I, I knew yeah. about this. And then when they brought it up, it was I thought that it was because of COVID, but apparently it was just something that happened. It definitely is a serious thing, but they say that he's recovered nicely and that he'll, he'll be a little bit late to spring training, but that he okay. will be there. I believe it was also Eduardo Rodriguez had the same thing. But his was he from had, COVID. He had his the same COVID. thing and his was severe enough that it kept him from pitching at all last year. Right, so. right. Yeah. yeah so. um, I just, it's something to keep an eye on. You know, they just given him a big bonus and Clearly, if they had known he had that beforehand, uh, I was under the impression it was from COVID, but uh, I don't know that for a fact. They didn't say that. It could yeah. be. I think we're, we're left to draw our own conclusions from it, but yeah. that, that, that could be what it was from. All right. All right, Sam, so we got to run. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks as always. Talk Thank to you soon. Talk Bye. to you next week. See you. And that was Stan the Fan Charles joining us for his weekly segment here on the Bat Around in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance studio just want to remind you that the bat around is brought to you by chesapeake employers insurance your workers compensation insurance specialist and if you're missing stan the fan uh, you can get your stan the fan charles fix he has two great shows for you every week uh and like any everything else in the world they're happening over zoom every monday night stan and former orioles pitcher ross grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball and every wednesday night stan and gary stein chat a different newsmaker from the world of sports this week stan and ross caught up with father and son former orioles pitchers dave and steve johnson while stan and gary chatted with legendary former johns hopkins lacrosse coach dave petramala uh, both of those shows can be found under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Coming up this Monday night at 8, Stan and Ross will chat with former Orioles manager Dave Tremblay. Join them on Facebook Live or find the show the next day at pressboxonline.com. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at c3america.com and call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to C3America.com for free analysis. we got to get a break. When we come back, we will have, from BaltimoreBaseball.com, Rich Dubroff. 401. Sorry, guys. We're having a bit of a technical difficulty here with Facebook, so let me... Uh... Oh man, let me let me get out of here and we'll get you a break right now. Hungry for something different? Try the winter seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Delicious chicken parmesan, house-made meatloaf, impossible cheesesteak, or their popular winter spinach salad. All available for dine-in or takeout. And don't forget a growler of your favorite draft beer. Order now at glorydaysgrill.com. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son... We're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate y'all. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Glenn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual best of issue. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, we're back live in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. On the line right now from BaltimoreBaseball.com, we have Rich Dubroff. Rich, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're, we're happy to have you. Thanks for doing the show this weekend. But let's just dive right in here, Rich. The Orioles... The Maryland Stadium Authority reached an agreement on a two-year lease extension. Uh, it seems like this is simply an extension on the original lease with negotiations still ongoing for a long-term lease. Do you have any information or updates about this? And is there, Can you give any reassurances to fans who think that this is a sign that the team may be moving on? Well, I guess those are the, uh, uh, you know, I've tried, for, I've tried for months and months to reassure, um, to reassure people that, um, that the team uh, is not going anywhere, and I think I'm out of breath um, <laughs> because the because these people won't um, the people who are convinced the you know the 18 people who are convinced that the team is uh, is going to move uh, cannot be convinced by cannot be convinced by logic. But I will try again if you'd like. Um, and there, there there's no there's no way. That the team is the team is leaving. 
Okay, the reason that there is a two-year, the reason that there is just a two-year lease extension is because there is because the team and the stadium authority would like to make changes to the stadium. The money is not there during this these economic times. Um, you know, money people aren't going to the people aren't going to get, going to the games. Uh, you know, advertisers aren't aren't spending money. The money is just not there. By the end of the two years, the economy should be better, and then they can negotiate a long a long term lease that will allow them to uh, to make the changes to the ballpark, modernize it uh, that they like. Uh, for those who who think, oh, gee, this just means you know, two years before they leave. Well, you know, I, I don't know what I, I don't know what I can say to them. You know, for years, uh, there have been two, uh, very, very difficult, uh, stadium situations in the country in, in the major league baseball, Tampa Bay and Oakland, uh, Oakland's, you know, Oakland stadium is just a shambles and, you know, they've tried to get that replaced. Tampa Bay Stadium is inadequate. They have tried to to uh, uh, build a new stadium in Tampa Bay. They have so far failed. Those places have those places haven't moved, but they're going to they're but they're going to let them stay in Oakland and Tampa Bay, but let the Orioles, with one of the best stadiums in baseball, move. I I, I don't I don't get that. The reason that te- the reason that teams move is because of inadequate inadequate stadiums and bad fan support. Uh, you know, Orioles' attendance until the last couple of years has been okay. And right. because the team hasn't been very good, the attendance has been down. The the stadium is the stadium is still great even without even without renovations. There is no major league ready stadium uh, in any, you know, in any market that's empty not in nashville not in charlotte not in indianapolis not in las vegas not in portland the way that you get teams to move is to build a new stadium promise to build a new stadium and that doesn't exist yeah so no. i have now I've, I've now um you know i've now not convinced on uh, those 18 people but it's just um it, it's just there's no logic there just because the baltimore colts moved in 1984, um, you know, the children and grandchildren of those fans are now convinced that the Orioles are going to move. And it's just it's lunacy. Well, and it, it all stems back to that interview on 105.7 The Fan a couple of years ago where the, the, he had an, a, a source who said that he knew that there were people lining up in Vegas and Nashville right, to buy the team. You know, I, you could find a guy, you could find a guy hanging around in any sports bar when they were open who could, right. you know who, who would be as who would be as knowledgeable yeah absolutely and and you just and said I don't it. know why we were, I don't know you know I don't know why that got any credence except that there is a that the, except that there is a paranoia around here a absolutely. silly a silly paranoia it's 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 PTSD like you said from the Colts and what and you said it and I've been screaming it from a mountaintop for two years as long as Camden Yards stands in Baltimore there will be Major League Baseball in Baltimore and people can't seem to well, these eighteen people can't seem to wrap their brains around it now uh, Rich let's move on to things a little bit more. Um, 
pressing and a little bit more fun to talk about. Spring training, starting up on Tuesday, first workouts on Wednesday, first full team workouts on the following Monday. What competitions are on deck for the Orioles as they build and assess their 2021 roster? Well, they're, I mean, they're basically competitions at, at probably every position except catcher. Um, because, you know, I, I think a lot of us could probably name, uh, you know, some of the uh, – you know, most of the players who will probably end up on that 26-man roster, but you don't know exactly where they're going to be. Um, look at the infield. I don't know, um, is Yolmer Sanchez going to be the everyday second baseman, or is he going to play, uh, you know, is he going to sort of uh, platoon with uh, Rio Ruiz, as, as Hanser Alberto did in 2019, and then have Valeca play there at some at second base, or, or Jemai Jones. So that that's something that I'm very interested in. I'm interested in, you know, is Mancini going to be the first baseman, the, the DH? I don't really see him much in, in, in the outfield. Or how the outfield competition is going to um, is going to line up with with um, Cedric Mullins. Is he going to be? Could he be an everyday center fielder, or is that going to be uh, Austin Hayes? And is Mullins going to be, a, you know, a fourth outfielder? Can he be, you know, can he be more than that? Is Mountcastle going to be at first left field, or, um, you know, or, or the DH? Uh, and then, you know, and then we get to pitching, and, and that's, you know, and that's that's a lot. I mean, we have no idea who, um, you know, who's going to be who's going to be starting. We assume, you know, John Means and Keegan Aiken and, and Dean Kramer. But are both LeBlanc and Felix Hernandez going to get in there? And I would guess there's going to be somebody else that they sign because there's still a lot of starting pitchers available, you know, in the free, you know, as as free agents. And the bullpen, you know, are they going to have eight um, eight guys in the bullpen or nine? And they have a lot of candidates. That's one area I think that they're that they're pretty stacked with is they they seem to have. Um, a lot of a lot of good candidates for the bullpen, Paul. Hey, Rich, it's Zach Goodman, and I want to talk a little bit about hey, Trey Mancini because uh, you know he's obviously coming off of the colon cancer and he hasn't had a lot of at bats in the last year, and he's one of the few veterans on the Orioles at this point. Do you expect to see a lot of Trey Mancini in spring training and some of these other veterans like Chris Davis and uh, whoever else is on you know considered a veteran in their eyes? Do you expect to see a lot of them actually getting at bats in spring training? Well, I think uh, Mancini, you know, Mancini needs at bats. What they're going to have to do is going to have to see, you know, what kind of, you know, how his stamina is. You know, Zach, I'm, I'm expecting a, I'm expecting a really good year from Trey Mancini. Me too. Yep. Uh, I, I think Mancini is going to be, you know, what he was in 2019. So I think, and that's really, you know, and that's really good. So I, I think that should be, you know, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very confident. In that, but we're, what they're going to have to weigh is, you know, how many at bats to give him, and, and how much rest does he need? You know, does he? Yeah. You know, how is his? You know, how is his stamina? He underwent very, very serious surgery eleven months ago, and and then had debilitating chemotherapy, which is, uh, you know, which is very, very, you know, very, very difficult. Uh, but I have full confidence in him. And as for Davis, Davis is sort of, you know, unfinished business for them. Um, and, you know, they'll they'll try and get him, you know, they'll try and get him as many at-bats as they can. But, you know, 
the opportunities aren't going to be as great uh, in this spring training because you know they've gotten rid of uh, you know they, they've reduced the number of games they've reduced they've gotten rid of the split squad games so uh, there are going to be fewer you know there are going to be fewer games and some of them may be as few you know to start with as five innings so you know the number of uh, the number of opportunities are are going to be hard. I mean, what it'll really be hard on it'll really be hard. It'll be on you know on those borderline guys that you know that need the at bats, whether they're you know Jama you know Jamae Jones or um, Valeka, uh, you know, and, and then when Richie Martin comes back, uh, you know how many uh, how many at bats can uh, you know can they squeeze out can they squeeze out for him? Uh, Stevie Wilkerson, all these guys who, you know, you may see play this year, um, may, you know, may sort of get the, uh, you know, the, the short shrift at, uh, you know, during spring training. Certainly they may be giving a batch to people who are more fringe worthy players than the guys who are already established, who are going to be in that lineup, get the, get them enough at bats to get them ready for the season and see what you have in everybody else. Now you mentioned that there's going to be a competition to see is Cedric Mullins an everyday center fielder? Or is it going to be Austin Hayes? And it's crazy that that's even a thing right now because Austin Hayes was the first player from the 2016 draft to reach the majors, finalist for the the, um, the National uh, Minor League Player of the Year award in 2017. Came up in, in September of 2019, had a big September, and then had a big September in 2020, but left a lot to be desired the first 30 games or so before he got injured last season. Has Austin Hayes fallen so far that the Orioles no longer view him as their center fielder of the future, or did, or was it more so Cedric Mullins just played so well uh, in that truncated season that they want to see what they have in him? Yeah, I, I think it's the I, I think it's the latter, um, and also you know the, the, also they can move like Mount, like Mountcastle. So let's say they play Mullins in center, then they're playing Hayes in left, and then Mountcastle can be first base or D, you know first base or DH. So. Uh, the maneuverability is key here. You know, the fact when you have when you when you have guys who can do a lot of good things. That's one of the things about Jemai Jones, who uh, that stood out to them is you know they like that he's a second baseman, but he can also play. You know, he can also play the outfield. So uh, you know, they may only have three bench players. They may end up going with fourteen pitchers here. Um, you know, to save some of these young, to save some of these young arms, and you know, the, the versatility with the, whoever they have on the bench is going to be, you know, is going to be key, and it's going to be very big because you basically will have one or two real players coming off the bench because one of those three bench players will be your second catcher, Severino or you know, or Francisco. So, uh, very, very, uh, you know, very interesting competitions. I think coming up in the in spring training, but I think Hayes, uh, I think they, this is a big year for him. You know, last year was so weird. You know, yeah. you can only go on uh, on what those sixty games showed us, but they weren't one hundred and sixty two games. You know, we don't know uh, how all these guys would have done if you'd had a you know if you'd had a full season. How much they you know how much they would have been hurt, how much they they would have played, but you know you. you you have to. Um, you, you can't just extrapolate from those sixty games. You have to. You know. You have to view, and you have to do a lot of guessing. Well, 
let's talk a little bit, Rich, about the Orioles pitching. Because you mentioned you have John Means. It's assumed uh, Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken are going to be the top three in that rotation. I don't think Felix Hernandez is brought into this organization to pitch at the minor league level. I think he's probably going to. He won't. Exactly. And I think he's going to be in that rotation. But after that, you have a competition for that fifth spot. And that's between, you're looking at Bruce Zimmerman, Jorge Lopez, uh, Wade LeBlanc. Colin McHugh seemed like a perfect fit for this team. He signed for $600,000 with the Red Sox last year, but then he gets that $1.8 million deal from the Rays. Then they also signed Rich Hill for $2.5 million. And then Arietta, he was never going to be an option here. He signed for only $6 million with the Cubs. Who is next on the Orioles list? And they said they were willing to hand out a major league deal, but who could that go to? I mean, you know, you just look at some of the, you just look at some of the names, you know, you get out major league MLBtraderumors.com and you look at the free agent list. And and you look at some of those, you know, you look at some of those names that are there. Um, you know, I don't like to speculate on on free agents and you know toss toss names around. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I wrote about some pitchers who could fit, and they were, you know, and they were guys that, you know, whose names won't excite you, you know, sort of on the LeBlanc or, or Hernandez level now. And I'm talking about the Hernandez of today. Right. But the names that the name the names that don't excite you are probably the kind of names that they're um that they're, that they're going to look at now. You know, you know with Hernandez, well that's great to talk about because of his great legacy, not what he's done, you know, in the last few, you know, not not what he's done in the last few years. But, you know, pitchers don't want to necessarily free agent pitchers like even in the good days the 2012 to 2016 years, you know, free agent pitchers didn't want to come to Baltimore on a one-year contract because it's hard pitching in the AL East and it's hard pitching uh, at Camden Yards. Look at Dan Straley a few years ago. Yeah, you know, he was a guy who had a you know who had a, a pretty good track record, but he was a, a guy who gave up a lot of home runs and boy, those you know. Boy, those balls kept uh, flying out, uh, and, and so you know, the, you know, people who just say, "Well, the Orioles are are being cheap." Well, they're not. You know, they're not throwing money around, but it, it's it's also you're you're going to have to overpay, yeah, to get somebody, uh, you know, to come here, who you know, in a bidding war, and it doesn't seem, you know, it sure doesn't seem like they get into bidding wars with uh, with with people, and they just. You know, for now, they just have people. Fans just have to be realistic uh, about the kind of um, you know free agent pitchers that they're they're going to sign. You know, they all make you know they all make fun. I mean, who know? I, I don't know if Malone, Tommy Malone, uh, is recovered, but you know that would be a name. You know, that might be a name too if he were um, uh, if he were healthy. I know he got hurt. Uh, quickly with the Braves because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't so bad at, at times um, with the team, you know, with the team last year. And also, you didn't you didn't mention the the two uh, Rule Five guys, oh, Tyler that's Wells and, and Mac uh, Max Scroller. Uh, Scroller. I'm trying, always trying to pronounce his name. I, I've had a hard enough time learning S C E R O L E R. I'm with you. <laughs> um, but he, you know, those guys could be sort of um, outliers. In the stars, and and you know, one of the points about last season was, you know, a lot of these guys, these young guys, didn't get to pitch a lot. Aiken 
and Kramer. And then to ask them all of a sudden to go from, you know, few innings last year to 150 or 160 innings this year, well, that's kind of impossible. That's why you're going to have to have a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of arms in the bullpen and a lot of options in the starting rotation because this is going to be a very, you know, this is going to be a trickier year to manage than last year. You know, last year you could just sort of, um, you know, you had to be mindful uh, of, of arm strength, but this year you're going to have to be uh, mindful not only of arm strength but of stamina. Oh, know? absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're asking them to go from making you know 12 starts and throwing at most 70, 80 innings last year to making 33 starts. And like you said, throwing anywhere from 150 to 170 innings this year. So it's certainly um, something that, has to, that you have to be mindful of. And I also like that you said um, with the Colin McHugh thing, if, if, if the Orioles and the Rays both have the same $1.8 million offers out for Colin McHugh, they're not the same offer. Because the Rays are coming off a World Series, they provide him with better opportunity. The Orioles might have to give him an extra one, an extra million dollars to get him here, and that's the case with all these free agent pitchers. Um, so the name that I keep coming back to is Matt Shoemaker, and this is a guy who he's had he's had some success at the, a lot of success at the major league level, but much like Felix Hernandez, he hasn't really been great since 2016 he hasn't been healthy since 2016 I'm surprised to see he doesn't have a team yet is somebody like him a guy who could come in and they just say you know what I just want to get a, I want to get with a team I'll take your 1.8 million dollars and I just want to get started yeah I'd be surprised if it would be even that high you know um you know I mean if if they have a guy for a million dollars remember these guys are not pitching just for 2021. Right. They're pitching to, to try and, you know, see if they can get a contract for 2022 as well. Uh, and if they're, you know, and if they pitch in, you know, if they pitch here and, you know, they give up a lot of, you know, they give up a, a lot of home runs, well, getting that contract for 2022 is going to be hard. You pitch in a place like Tropicana Field, then, you know, not only is the team better, but the ballpark is much more pitcher friendly. Absolutely, and I think that, that 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 holds a lot of water for these free agent pitchers. Now, before we let you go, um, there are a lot of camp reserves that are coming into spring training, yeah. and some of the prospects among them are Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Adam Hall, Jordan Westberg, and Heston Kerstad. What exactly does the term camp reserve mean, and what is their role at spring training? Well, their role is, you know, we asked Elias about it yesterday because it, I, I hadn't, heard of that there was going to be a different differentiation i think it's a sort of you know it may it may be economics because anytime that you have a, a young you know you have a player that's not on the major league roster who's working out at the major league facility you, you know they get a they get they get a per diem it's just like when you have a um when you when you bring in uh a player in in normal times from minor league camp to serve as an extra for major league game, that guy gets uh, major league per diem. Uh, I think it might, you know, I think it, it, it may well be that, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, some of those guys are going to be shuffled in, you know, shuffled in and out. You may not see them at, um, in very many games. You may not see them on, you know, rosters for many games because you're going, because of um, social distancing, you're going to have to have uh, smaller squads. 
if you've ever been to games, early spring training games at Ed Smith Stadium, and you saw the dugout there with, you know, yeah. with, with all these extra coaches and players, I mean, there's no, you know, there's no room. That's, that's going to be different now. A lot of those guys are going to have to work out at the Twin Lakes Complex. So uh, it's just, a, I think it's just a way of differentiating, you know, who you're going to see uh, more often. There are a couple of guys on that list, like Cody Carroll and Evans Phillips, and also uh, Chris Shaw, who have major league experience, who have, you know, a fair amount of major league experience. And it isn't lunacy to think that they'll, you know, that they'll play uh, roles with the Orioles this year. Uh, and a lot of them are, are just younger players who, uh, you know, who they'd like to see. I mean, it's like Adam Hall, um, you know, I, maybe he starts at, uh, at at Bowie this year, but you really haven't seen, uh, you know, the coaches and, and Brandon Hyde haven't seen uh, this guy play. And they'd like to, you know, they'd like to be able to see it. And, and also they'd like to expose these players to the major, you know, to the major league coaches. So, I think we're all going to be happy when, you know, hopefully we have labor peace and 2020, 2022 is a normal spring training and we can see, you know, normal minor league seasons and, and normal, uh, you know, normal spacing for, uh, for these players. Because I, I think, you know, I think you're, you're going to have somebody, I think from uh, baseball America on later. Yes, sir. Um, and, and, you know, I was writing about the, uh, you know, their prospect, uh, list not the prospect list, but the, the rating the Orioles minor league organizations. The you know sort of the, the differences that publications have, and one of the things with the Orioles is that you know so many of these great prospects that they have, you know Westberg and and Kerstad and Servidio and you know Henderson and and, and Rutschman, Well, they've played little or no minor league ball. And, you know, the ranking is, is based on, you know, uh, the reputation uh, and kind of a gut reaction of how these people are going to do in the minor leagues. And we've seen so little of basically Rutschman and Henderson from uh, 20, you know, from 20, you know, from 2019 and nothing of what the 2020 guys right. do. So I think that this is going to be a really interesting, you know, spring training and a really interesting minor league season. Absolutely. Now, before we let you go, you, you were mentioning these top prospects. Adley Rutschman, they said that while he's a camp reserve, he is going to be reporting on Tuesday with the pitchers and the catchers. I expect to see him get his fair share of action in camp because he's Adley Rutschman. Now, are they going to want him to ramp it up in spring training and then send him to a minor league spring training in April with the hopes of starting him at Bowie in May? Or is there any chance that they'll say, you know what, we want you to get your feet wet at uh, AAA and get into game action so that you aren't missing you know, a month before you get into actual game action with AA? Is there any shot at him starting at Norfolk this year? No, I don't think so. I think that it's pretty clear that they want to start him, uh, that they want to start him in you know, at Bowie. And, you know, I, I think that overall they hurt last year. Um, last year hurt the Orioles more than, you know, most other teams, the lack of the minor league season, because, you know, they're so pro they're so prospect heavy. I mean, they don't want to say this because they don't want, you know, people to think they're feeling sorry for themselves. But I, I think that it's clear that they really needed that minor league season. And for that, to, um, for that to have vanished, um, really hurt them. And I think 
you know, Rutschman, let's say Rutschman had started last year at Frederick, and then he, you know, maybe he moved on to Bowie. This year he could have started at Norfolk and, uh, you know, and, and then been to the major leagues in, in June or July if everything went well. Now this year, um, you know, they want to start him at Bowie, which is a, a big jump for somebody who's hardly played minor league ball. And then, uh, you know, then see how he does. And, uh, you know, whether you see him uh, in the big leagues this year, I don't, you know, I don't know. Because, you know, Mike likes to, um, you know, he wants his prospects to, to succeed when they, come, they came, when they come up. You know, when they bring guys up, it, it seems like, you know, they're a little conservative in bringing guys up. But when they bring guys up, you know, they play. Yeah. You know, and, and, and like, you know, Santander and, and Mountcastle, you know, when they brought, they finally brought him up and people were unhappy that they didn't come up earlier. They played well, and I don't think that he wants to rush his, um, you know, his his prize catcher. You know, this is the, you know, this is his his top draft pick, and so I think that he he wants to make sure that you know he's ready to play, and he doesn't want to. And you know, AAA right now, you have a lot of major league players. That's um, true in AAA. You know, you know, if you look at a AAA roster. Like three quarters of the guys on that roster have major league experience, so I think that that would be probably unfair to Rutschman. I think he'd do fine, but I think that they want him to, you know, they want him to go to Bowie, want him to catch DL Hall, and then maybe Rodriguez, uh, and and that will help. That will help everybody. And then when they're all, you know, ready to play in 2022, then uh, then we'll really have something to talk about. Yeah, absolutely, Rich. We got to get. When they move to Nashville in 2024, <laughs> yeah, then we'll have more to talk about. Absolutely, or less. Rich, thank you so much for joining the program. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We'll talk again soon. All right. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And, and sorry that I got so um, overwrought about uh, the 18 people. No, no. I think we're we're all on the same page there, Rich. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. See you. And that was Rich Dubroff of BaltimoreBaseball.com with a lot of insight. I liked what he said about, you know, Camden Yards and the, and, the, and the lease agreement because it was smart. It was it's stuff that maybe you don't think about. And it's like, it's what I've been screaming from the top of a mountain for months now. They aren't going anywhere. It's just not a big deal. It, yeah, it's really it, just not. And people are going to keep getting upset about it until they don't. I mean, people will always say they're going to move to Nashville or wherever. But I think what also people don't think about is that how much money would it cost the Orioles to actually pick up and move everything? They'd have to build a new stadium. They'd have to acquire fans. They'd have to do the marketing and the finances. It would it would cost an incredible amount. The Orioles are not going anywhere. Yeah, they're, it, they're, it's they're, simply not happening. They're, they're not going anywhere. I understand the PTSD because, because of what the Colts did overnight. That's not going to happen. The, the Maryland Stadium Authority is in place because... That happened, right? You know, they they wanted a new stadium. They they couldn't get it. They couldn't get the funding for it. So the Colts left in the middle of the night. Maryland Stadium Authority was brought about because of that to ensure it doesn't happen to the Orioles. And it's not going to guys. The Orioles are going to be here for as long as Major League Baseball is here. You can bet you can you can bet on that. Uh, we got to get another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about give you a little bit of a spring training preview, a uh, truncated version of it because we. We seem to always run long with the with our we with do. our segments, but uh, we're gonna come back in here right after the break. 
The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Hungry for something different? Try the winter seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Delicious chicken parmesan, house-made meatloaf, impossible cheesesteak, or their popular winter spinach salad. All available for dine-in or takeout. And don't forget a growler of your favorite draft beer. Order now at glorydaysgrill.com. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. Get the fresh start you deserve. It's a new year. It's a new you. In the U.S. Army, you will acquire the skills and experiences that will prepare you for a long and successful career. There are more than 150 career fields to help you find the right fit for your future. Become a stronger and more successful individual that you and your family can be proud of. Explore all the ways to serve. To request more information, text AQWP to Go Army or 462-769. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. Good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to the Batter Round from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio here for Press Box Sports. Again, I'm your host, Paul Valley. Joined with me, as always, by my co-host, Zach Goodman. Just want to remind you all that while vaccines are here and there's reason to be encouraged, COVID-19 is still a very real threat. Masks aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So let's wear masks to celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Press Box is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiters Zach's modeling. During Raven season, he always had the purple side on. Now he's got the orange side on because we have spring training starting in just a couple of days. Uh, plus a Celebrate 8 
Purple Neck Gator honoring the MVP quarterback and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks, folks. They're not CDC-approved, but they're perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now, Zach. We have spring training starting in a matter of days. What is it, three days? Yeah, it's uh, Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, Tuesday. Pitchers and catchers report. Adley Rutschman reports, who we were just talking about a little bit with Rich Dubroff there to end that segment. Uh, We are 47 days away from opening day. It's crazy. It's not much. Because we have snow on the ground. And it was 25 degrees when I woke up this morning. But we have... Opening day in 47 days. Well, it's, it's snowed for the, uh, a few times for the O's on uh, opening day in the past. It's snowed yeah, quite a few yeah. times. I remember, I, remember, I remember watching that game in 2003. It was crazy. Went to extra innings. Uh, I believe Gary Matthews got the game-winning hit to drive in Jerry Hairston Jr. But that's besides the point. Uh, spring training, man. It's, it's an exciting time of year. It marks the beginning of baseball season for people like you and me. It gets our blood flowing. This is what we wait literally all off-season for, is the spring training the first where we get Orioles content every day. And that's what people love. That's why you turned into the show, uh, folks, is you want all the Orioles content you can get. And it's about to start in, in, in full fashion here in a matter of days. Now, there's something I do want to talk about a little bit because I asked Rich about Adley Rutschman and could he start at Norfolk. And he said no. And everybody I've asked that has said no. And I yeah. tend to agree with them. Uh, the only reason that he that he would even be considered to start at Norfolk is so that he can get into game action and not have to wait till mid to late May to get started with the double A season. And then it's up uh, it's but it's up to Adley where he goes this year. It, yeah, before, it is. It's, it's performance based. At, at the end of last year and moving into the offseason. Everybody to a man said we're not going to see Adley Rutschman in twenty in twenty twenty one. That stance is softened. Softened. Now we're hearing we could see him in September. Here's the thing about Adley: if Adley goes to Double A and he proves he's the best player at Double A, if he's hitting three sixty with fifteen home runs and sixty RBIs, this is a guy that you could legitimately see. And th- this is this is best case scenario. Pedro Severino has a great first half of the year. He becomes an all-star catcher, and then he gets traded at the deadline. And Adley Rutschman's playing so well that he comes up. that they, they feel better about trading Pedro Severino because they have Adley who's ready. That scenario, how does that scenario play in your mind? I don't know. I mean, I, I think the, the catching ranks for the Orioles right now, I mean, it, it, they don't have a lot of great depth. I mean, like you said, Pedro Severino... It all, it all, really, in my opinion, everything depends on how Adley does. I, I really think that's going to be the deciding factor. If Adley Rutschman goes into Double A and he hits three thirty, he hits fifteen home runs in a season, then I think you're going to see him a, a lot quicker. I don't know. You said the stance is softened. I think it has, but I just also think people really don't know. It, it just people don't really know what Adley's going to do, and it, it could depend on Pedro Severino. I'm not sure how much of a factor Chancisco is, if any. I'm, you know, he's not going to stick around for the long haul, most likely, but. We'll just have to see. I'm not really sure what's going to happen with Adley, but I do think there's a chance we could see him this year. I really do. Well, and I like that you bring up Chan Sisko because people are like, oh, we need to see if Chan Sisko can play first base or if he can DH. Guys, he has never hit 
at the major right. league level. And, and he gets on base a little bit because he does walk. And yeah. I appreciate that, but he can't hit. Yeah. He just can't. And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say he, that he can't hit. I think that he has a 305 lifetime average, I think, in the minors. I think he can hit. Maybe he's just not a major league hitter. He hasn't proven that he can do it at the major league level. Yeah. And until he does, let's slow the talks about can he DH, can he play first base. There's a, there's a better chance in my mind, that chan- a better chance, no pun intended, that <laughs> Chance Cisco isn't here in a couple of years rather than can he DH or play first base. I've wondered a lot about his trade value. I'm not sure how high it would be, but he is a guy who's never really reached his potential. He's still young. He does get on base a little bit, but he just has so many deficiencies defensively. I mean, you can't put him behind the plate and and, and have these pitchers rely on him. He's just not good enough back there. And first base is a log jam for a lot of teams, so it's going to be tough. He has no trade value. Yeah. I, I, I look at Chance Cisco, and there was a time when he was the Oro- one of the Orioles' top prospects. He was a top it, 100. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, there's no there's no trade value for him. And, yeah. and, and you know, you I, I like Chance Cisco because of the potential that he's always had. Yeah. But realistically, he's barely a 200 career hitter at the major league level. Uh, his defense is mediocre on his best days. This is a guy that just, I mean, he had a pop-up hit him in the head. You know what I mean? He got hit in the head by a pop-up on a, yeah. on a foul pop a couple of years ago. This is a guy that you just really, the the, the only way he's going to have trade value is if he comes up and lights the world on fire in, in 2021. That's the only way. Other than that, he, he, he just doesn't have the the trade value. Yeah, it, it seemed to me a few times that he's going to break out. Sometimes he gets on a little tear and he starts to actually hit the ball well and he has a little power, but that's the other issue is that his gap-to-gap power and then especially home run power is just not really there. He's more of a singles hitter, a slap hitter. So, I don't know, it, it, it's not really a great profile to have as a catcher. You know, you really want your young pitchers to be able to rely on your catcher and Chance Cisco is not that guy. And I'm not sure Pedro Severino is any defensive uh you know he's he's a defensive liability too in, in some ways different than Chance Cisco but yeah it, it, I, I think neither of these guys depend fully on Adley Rutschman's arrival but it's more of on Adley Rutschman's back to see what he can produce that's that's my opinion on yeah it. and um it's funny because when Pedro Severino was acquired by the Orioles a couple of years ago he was known more for his defense and his offense his offense never translated to the big league level yeah. and and now now it's his offense, despite his look, his his September in 2019 and 2020, th- there's no getting around it. He he is like 150. He was horrendous. He, he, he was yeah. really bad each of the each of the last two Septembers. But before that, he would have been the starting catcher on the All-Star team in the American League in yeah. in 2020, had there been an All-Star game. Right? It, 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 he had that good of an offensive start to the year. The bat's more advanced than than the glove at this point. Now the 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 defensive um prowess is still there it's still there he still has that ability but I think he spent so much time focusing on his bat that his glove kind of fell by the wayside and that's just one of those things that sometimes happens when because people don't care about your feelings so much as I mean you look at Gary Sanchez for the Yankees he hit 20 homers in 60 games when he got called up he's a 30 plus homer a year guy terrible one of the worst defensive catchers in the game but nobody seemed to care if he was hitting 35 home runs, now... He's not hitting anymore. Now he's not yeah. hitting. He, he hit like 170 last year, if that. The power's still there, but the strikeout numbers are way up. The batting average is way down. And now it's, is he even going to be on the roster? There was talk that he might have been designated for assignment by the Yankees. They, guy, everyone wanted him traded. Every Yankees fan wanted him yeah. traded. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's just, that's how the game goes. If your offense struggles, all of your other shortcomings become that much more glaring because offense makes up for a lot when you Definitely. can't, when you can't provide it. Everything else becomes more glaring. Now, Zach, we got to get Kyle Glazer from uh, Baseball America on the line. Sorry for the shortened version of Orioles banter, but I'd rather have great content from great guests than be able to talk to you guys about, uh, you know, spring training. We'll have more time for that later on in the season. Give us that live read while I get Kyle on the on the phone. All right, make the most out of every day at a Toyota RAV4 available in a hybrid or guest-only models. A RAV4 can get you anywhere you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. We're in the last couple days for you to pick up the best issue of PressBox. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sportsperson of the Year, Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. And coming this Wednesday, the new print edition hits newsstands featuring a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he enters his third season we have Kyle Glazer on the line. Oh, yeah, we absolutely have Kyle Glazer on the line from Baseball America. He's their national writer. Uh, Kyle, how are you this morning? Doing all right. How are you guys? We're doing well. We're really happy to have you on the program talk about the uh, Orioles farm system here. The Orioles farm system ranks seventh in Baseball America's latest rankings, their highest ranking ever. We all know they have five players in the top 100, but in addition to that, what has this organization ranked so highly? Well, they've continued to add high draft picks because they've taken this route in the major leagues. And when you're picking, you know, top of the draft, obviously picking first overall a few years ago, second this year, you're also adding premium talent in the second round. So you look at some of the players they got there, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg. Those are two very, very good players in addition to just the guys they've taken at the very top of the draft in the first round. They've also started to get back into the international market. A lot of those players still need a couple years to matriculate, so they're not super high on their rankings yet. But just by virtue of drafting as high as they have and picking the players they have, who for the most part so far look to be good picks, obviously there's a lot of time ahead. There's a lot of challenges these guys face as they move up the minors. But so far, so good, and that's why they're as high as they are. Now, you mentioned Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg who are on the outside looking in on the top 100. How close are these guys? And I know that neither one of them have played. In Gunnar's um, case, he only played in the Gulf Coast League, which was shortened because of the hurricane. Uh, Westberg hasn't played minor league baseball at all. How close are these guys to making top 100 lists, and what do they need to do this year to get there? Neither is super close, but I mean, we're watching them. They're on the radar. I think it's just a matter of going out and playing and showing all these tools play in real games over the grind of a full minor league season. And that's the case for a lot of guys in the minor leagues. That's not unique to them. Just going out and playing in real games and real situations. But there's a lot to be bullish on, and that's why we're certainly watching them, and, and a lot of people are intrigued by them. Uh we can't talk to Kyle Glazer from Baseball America without mentioning the number two overall prospect, Adley Rutschman. This seems to be a consensus across the board that he's number two prospect in baseball. What about Adley has everybody drooling? Both the skills and the polish. 
a switch hitting catcher who can hit for average, has a good approach, hits for power, and oh, by the way, by all accounts, at worst is an above average defender behind the plate, and at best is a potential gold glove winner. This is a franchise caliber set of skills uh, that you look for in a player. And on top of it, what just keeps coming back about him is it's not like he'll flash you these, but then he'll go through long stretches where he's not really performing up to that level, or he'll flash you them, but he plays an immature game with a lot of mistakes. Everyone talks about this guy's polish, his professionalism. He has these tools. He gets to them consistently. And just the way he carries himself, the way he plays the game. I mean, he has yet to play full season ball. And again, that's through no fault of his own. But he led a team to the College World Series championship. And just the leadership he brings, everything that scouts see, they're saying they feel like, and it's a little bit hyperbolic, but still the fact they're even saying it, that, heck, I think this guy could be in the majors now. Uh, for a guy who has yet to play full season ball, it's the testament to his polish. It's not just raw tools with him. It's in-game usable skills with just glowing reports on the makeup and the professionalism. Now, what is his ceiling and what is his floor? So I always kind of hate this question because I think people (laughs) artificially push floors up higher than they are. I mean, when you talk about his potential – it is a perennial all-star, face of the franchise, hit th- third or fourth in the order, putting up, you know, 270, 280 with 30-plus home runs a year while playing gold glove defense. We're talking about one of the potentially the best players in Major League Baseball. The floor, it, it's tough because catching is so, so, so difficult. The rigors of it mentally and physically it can really wear down on guys and grind guys down. You talk about, as Orioles fans are familiar with, a guy like Matt Wieters, who similarly was seen as this all-world prospect, and he's had a very, very good major league career, a decade plus. He's made four all-star games. He's been a very good player, but he never quite achieved the heights I think some people expected he would. And some of that's just because, A, you never know. There's no such thing as a surefire prospect. And B, catching is just extraordinarily difficult. So um, we have to still see how he plays against players that are kind of at his level in full season ball. You know, double A, triple A, he was playing short season guys who in a lot of cases didn't have his experience level or skill set. And there's still some things to go out and show. So you still have to project a good bit, and that's why you have to always be aware that there's always a possibility something doesn't click or something doesn't show up against double and triple A pitching. And then you just add in catching is, is such a grind, you know, whatever confidence you have, you have to kind of take it down a notch just, and just be aware of that possibility. Hey Kyle, it's Zach Goodman. And we were just talking on the show about uh, Chance Cisco, another former top 100 Orioles prospect. And what are the comparisons that you could bring with Chance Cisco and Adley Rutschman? Are there any comparisons between those two? Because it seems like Chance Cisco really never reached his full potential. He was always a great hitter in the minors, never a great defender, but he hasn't been either so far in the majors. Yeah, so with Chance Cisco, what you were hoping for was a high average. Um, power was never really his thing. It's funny, in my previous job as a writer for the Riverside Press Enterprise, I actually covered Chance Cisco in high school when he was at Santiago High School. So I, I've known Chance a long time and covered him for a long time. 
he was always potentially going to hit for a high average. It was more line drives doubled is what you were hoping for. And the catching was always an open question. He barely caught in high school. Uh, he was a shortstop. They converted late. And, um, you know, again, it just it was always going to be a, well, let's see if it can work. Whereas Adley Rushman has a chance to, again, hit for average and power, and there's no question about his defense. He caught in college at a premier program catching pitchers who have a chance to be really good major league baseball players, uh, caught velocity, caught good breaking stuff, and led his staff to the College World Series. Um, there's really no comparison in terms of just their skills and their experience levels defensively. And then you add in the fact Adley just has a lot more power. It's a pretty clear separation in terms of the types of prospects we're talking about. Um, Chance, I think his height in the top 100 was somewhere in the 60s or 70s, which again is is, is you know seen as potentially a good player. Obviously, he hasn't quite performed to that level, but we talk about this a lot at BA. The guys, you know, numbers one to ten in the top 100. The gap between them and, and the guys in 70s is enormous. You know, the guys in the 60s and 70s, the gap between them and the guys in the 120s, 130s is very, very minuscule. It's just a completely different tier of prospects when you're talking about 1 to 10 prospects versus, you know, 60s and 70s. Another one of those prospects that you all have ranked 22nd is Grayson Rodriguez. Um, He's the Orioles' number two prospect in most publications. Keith Law, however, has him ranked 55th. Behind D.L. Hall, Law sees a Law sees a pause in Rodriguez's delivery, the cost and power, and cross-body action. Have you seen something similar? Do you see where Keith Law is coming from with this ranking, or do you just think that it's that he's seeing something nobody else does? I can't speak to anyone else's lists or their assessments. Um, here's what I know about Chris Rodriguez, having seen him, and here's what we know about Chris Rodriguez, having spoken with evaluators over the course of, of many years about him since he's been drafted. This is a uniquely talented kid in his ability to locate a power arsenal to both sides of the play at his age. Seeing him back in 2019 when he was still a teenager, throwing 96 and locating it wherever he wanted in the zone, both sides of the plate up, down, that's extraordinarily rare. You add in a changeup that has progressed rapidly from a question mark, then it jumped to average, now it's a plus pitch. Add in a plus slider. It's three pluses. It's command. And there are lots and lots and lots of guys in the majors who are starting, who, whether it's they have a little bit of a crossfire delivery or there's some effort in their delivery, if you're strong, you're athletic, you hold your stuff and you hold your, your command over the course of six, seven innings, as Grayson Rodriguez is showing us he can, you're a number one starter. I think a lot of people focus on the imperfections of an arm action or a delivery, and then you go watch Major League Baseball, and there's all sorts of arm actions and deliveries. If you can hold your stuff and locate your pitches consistently, you're going to be a premier starter in the major leagues. And that's why we have him ranked so highly. And that's based on speaking to people in the industry. People very, very quickly throw number one and two starter projections on this guy. I have yet to hear anyone throw anything lower than that on him, which, again, is extraordinarily rare for a pitcher who has yet to play above the Class A levels. 
Yeah, and th- th- I, that's why he became the there was a pop up prospect of the 2018 draft, uh, and that certainly bodes well for Orioles fans for the future. Another guy that I want to talk to you a little bit about that we haven't heard much from since he got drafted uh, was Blaine Knight. He got drafted in the third round out of Arkansas. He pitched against Adley Rutschman and won that first game of the College World Series a few years back. But he, he, he pitched well at low A, got moved up to high A, and really struggled. Then he wasn't at the alternate training site last last season, didn't have a minor league season in 2020. How do the Orioles view Blaine Knight? Is he still a prospect who could become a top prospect for this team? As of right now, when you compare him to some of the other guys in this organization, he's not in their top 10 for us at BA. Um, he is in the top 30 still, but... Uh, the Orioles have a lot of other prospects that are seen as kind of premium talents at this point, and the guys who will end up being the ones leading them into this next wave, hopefully, of competitiveness in the, in the coming years. All right, fair, fair enough. Now, Ryan Mountcastle debuted in 2020, hit for average, hit for power. He increased his walk rate. Uh, he seems to be fairly low on a lot of top 100 lists. I believe you have him ranked 93rd. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That was I'm, I'm looking at a different one. You have him ranked 63rd um, on the on your top 100. His bat has played at every level. Is the, the ranking in the 60s due to his, uh, his fielding and his lack of plate discipline, or is it because is it his all-around game? There's always been questions about his defense, but I think the reason he's ranked where he is in the back half of the 100 versus the top half. Um, there, there are some questions about how aggressive he is and if major league pitchers are going to exploit that. He was MVP of the International League at AAA in 2019 and has shown that when he gets a pitch to hit, he won't miss it. Um, but there are some aggressiveness questions there, and that's why he was in the top 100 previously, then won MVP of the International League and actually dropped off the 100. Um, I did not support that decision, but I understood the reasoning behind it. Came up to the majors this year and, again, hit very, very, very well. Um, we have to keep in mind for all players, especially ones who came up later in the year like he did, we're talking very small samples. Right. And we see a lot of players come up and look like you know golden gods at the plate for 30 days, and then major league pitchers adjust and they struggle and they have to adjust back. So we still need to see him make the adjustments, and there are some questions about with how aggressive he is, you know, are major league pitchers going to find the holes and exploit them? And, and they certainly will at some point. It's just a matter of him making the counter adjustment. Um, I tend to believe in guys who have always hit. I saw plenty of him when he was at Norfolk at AAA. I saw him in the fall league. I think this is a guy who can hit for average, hit for power, and eventually does he end up at first base? Possibly, probably, um, but... He was in left field for a chunk of last year and moved back to first at the end of the year. So we'll see what they do defensively. But at the end of the day, if you can hit, you can make an impact in the major leagues. And there's a lot of faith this guy can hit. And and thus, we think he's an impact potential player. And thus, he's in our top 100. Now, there are a lot of guys that, like Heston Kerstad, like Jason Dominguez, that have never taken a minor league at bat, yet they seem to appear on a lot of the top 100s. Is it hard to pin those guys against guys who have really proven themselves at the minor league level and have had years and years of experience and putting them on a top 100? It is extremely difficult. Every year it's something yeah. that 
anyone who, you know, is doing these lists in conjunction with speaking with evaluators across the game. I mean, GMs, scouting directors will tell you we have no idea how to really assess, you know, a guy who's coming out of college or even more so a guy like Dominguez who signed, you know, at 16 but realistically hadn't played games for a couple years before that because a lot of the international guys are agreeing now at 14 and then kind of shutting it down. There's no question it's incredibly difficult, and that's even more so this year with no one playing real games. But ultimately, just, uh, you know, we at Baseball America take pride in in being top-notch reporters and tapping into our resources and speaking with evaluators at all levels across the game and finding out where these guys are in their development and then what the potential these guys are seen as having is. Um, In the cases of... Dominguez and Kerstad. Dominguez has long been lauded as a top international prospect, and uh, Josh Norris, who does the Yankees for us, is very tied into that system, and he's been able to kind of find out where he's at, and so far so good, but again, there's still a lot of question marks. We have to see how it plays in real games. Then Heston Kerstad, just by virtue of playing for Team USA, by virtue of playing in the SEC, having a long career there, even with the junior, his junior season obviously being cut short by the pandemic. Um, you know, there, there's a long history there. He was a known guy in high school. So because there's some track record there and there's some familiarity there, a lot of people have seen him, have a good feel for what they think he can be. And thus, he's placed relative to where a lot of others think he'll, he'll be in terms of his major league production. But as much as you can have a good feel for a guy like that, more so than some other guys who haven't necessarily played you're still looking at a guy who has yet to play a professional game and you never really know until a guy is swinging wood, you know, going through the grind of a full five month minor league season facing guys who throw 96 with hammers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, before we let you go, the last play that we want to talk about is DL Hall. And he seems to always be paired with Grayson Rodriguez when people talk about the Orioles' top prospects. He's never thrown more than 94 to 30 innings in a, in a professional season. The Orioles, it seems like, have been slow playing him. He was fairly erratic in 2019. I think he walked one of every six batters that he faced. What is his full potential? Why do we see an increase in his walk rate in 2019? And is that fixable? Yeah, I mean, that's always been the question with him is his control and his consistency of throwing strikes. It's really impressive stuff from the left side. You got a flash of it at the featured game in 2019 in Cleveland. He's got a very, very special left arm, but this is what kind of separates him with Grayson Rodriguez. Rodriguez not only consistently throws strikes, he commands the ball with pinpoint you know, accuracy. If you need it, outside corner at the knees to right-handed hitter. It's on the outside corner at the knees to right-handed hitter, which, again, is extraordinarily rare to see for uh, when he's doing it at 19 in low A. Um, you know, Hall still has a little bit of ways to go just to consistently throw strikes and then put the ball, you know, where it needs to be in certain counts. But that's no different than a lot of other young pitchers. Clearly, we're still very high on him um, by virtue of the fact he's in the top 100 and, and one of our top, top left-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball. He just needs a little more time, a little more experience. And there's a sense that he's a good athlete, and over time that control you know, should improve and ultimately his command will improve. Um, but we still have to see him make the jump, and through no fault of his own, by not having a 2020 minor league season, he just didn't have the opportunity. Now, 
based on what you just said with how he's a little bit behind Grayson Rodriguez, though they are seemingly paired together all the time, does that do you think then that he debuts later than Rodriguez despite being in the system longer? Um, you know, it's it's tough because we need to see when these guys make the jump to double A and how aggressively they move. Um, you know, you look at the Orioles say Rodriguez hasn't had the time in high hall has, but he looked great at the alternate side or instructs and by all accounts he did look fabulous at instructional league. Then they could theoretically start them both at double A and if Rodriguez outpitches him at that level, then yeah, you could certainly see a scenario where Rodriguez debuts first. I think regardless of who Duke debuts first, provided they both stay healthy, which is always a big if when you're talking about young pitchers, I think it'll probably be pretty close again, whether it's Rodriguez first or Hall first or the other way around. Health allowing, again, I think we're talking similar timelines. I don't think one's going to debut, you know, years before the other. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't think it would be years either, Uh it just seems one is behind the other, but like you said, not by too much. Kyle, we got to get a break, but we really appreciate you joining our program and giving us a little insight on the Orioles' prospects. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. Absolutely. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Kyle. And that was Kyle Glazer, national writer for Baseball America, talking to us about the Orioles' top prospects. Had a lot of insight that he gave us there. Uh, and a lot to get excited about, about this Orioles' farm system. Guys, the Orioles made a signing. During that, during, during that segment, during that segment, we're going to get a break. When we come back, we'll tell you exactly who they just signed. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401-9 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch net gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple net gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. Get the fresh start you deserve. It's a new year. It's a new you. In the U.S. Army, you will acquire the skills and experiences that will prepare you for a long and successful career. There are more than 150 career fields to help you find the right fit for your future. Become a stronger and more successful individual that you and your family can be proud of. Explore all the ways to serve. To request more information, text AQWP to Go Army or 462-769. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. 
Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm Subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. There's that Glenn Clark radio music that I just absolutely love. Um, all right, so we, we kind of... Uh, titillated and tantalized you going into the break, into that third break about an Orioles signing. The Orioles have agreed to a minor league deal with the Dark Knight, Matt Harvey. Um, look, this isn't... If this, this, this isn't 2013. Yeah, if, if this was 2013, man, that, that team that won 85 games may have been a World Series contender. Yeah. If you're looking at a, at a rotation that would have Wade LeBlanc, King Felix, and Matt Harvey in no particular order, that's a team that probably goes has an opportunity at a World Series. In 2021... These are all guys on minor league deals who are in the twilight of their career, on the back nine of their career, if you will. Um, look, I don't have a lot of high expectations for Matt Harvey. He hasn't been good for a very long time. He hasn't yeah. been good since 2015. And each team thinks that they can bring him in and they can revive his career. Sometimes you just don't have it. Sometimes you just lose it and you never get it back. And I think that that might be the case with Matt Harvey. Now, I do believe that with the analytics in place that the Orioles have and with Sigma Dell uh, and Mike Elias, I do believe that if any team can get anything out of Matt Harvey, it's going to be the Orioles. We've seen an increase in spin rates and an increase in peripherals for all their pitchers. So you just look at Tanner Scott and what he became this past year under the tutelage of the Orioles. Uh, that being said... Let's not get our hopes up here, folks. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's Matt Harvey. You know, 2015, 20, 2012 to twenty fifteen, great great pitcher. Now, not so much. You know, and can he come in and and show well and get into that rotation? Maybe he'd be more exciting to see in the rotation than say Wade LeBlanc. And that's no hate on Wade Agreed. LeBlanc. You just kind of know what you're getting with LeBlanc. Yeah, um, no, I, I agree with you. I don't have the same feelings about Felix Hernandez. I think Felix Hernandez is a guy who you very likely could see make this rotation and actually pitch fairly effectively for the Orioles. He showed it in a brief stint in uh, spring training with the Braves last year. Again, four starts, 13 two-thirds innings pitch, the 198 ERA. I feel like a guy like Felix Hernandez, who's now fully healthy, is a guy who maybe has figured out how to pitch rather than just overpower people now that he's lost significant mileage off of his uh, velocity. 
And he always had good breaking stuff. I mean, this is not a guy who's going to have to completely transfer himself into a breaking ball pitcher because he always had good stuff. So, you know, obviously his fastball is not nearly what it was in, in 2011, 2015. But it's it's I, I think there is a lot of work the Orioles could do with Felix Hernandez to get him up to a better spot, get him up to a tradable spot. With Matt Harvey, Wade LeBlanc, you know, their depth. You know, it's really no different than a Tom Eshelman. You know, Tom Eshelman's just a little bit younger. It's it's just really depth, and that's what the Orioles need right now because they're going to have to have maybe eight different starters during the season because guys just have not thrown a lot of innings lately. I went on to Matt Harvey's Baseball Savant page and looked at his 2019 percentile rankings. They're all basically under 10, which is really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Really bad. He was in the first percentile of expected ERA. That is horrible. That is the worst you can get. So, you know, not not great stuff there. But, hey, I mean, he's depth. He's depth. He, he's depth, and he's another name that used to be something that's coming in. Somebody yeah. posted, uh, hey, if it, it was uh, roses are red, violets are blue. If it's twenty, if you were good in 2013, the Orioles want you. I believe that was Lamar Jordanson on, uh, on Twitter who posted that. That was pretty funny. Jordan Katz. Jordan, Jordan Katz. Katz. I, I've never met Jordan, but he, he, he's nice got guy. some good content there on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, before we let you guys go, I just want to remind you that every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Press Box's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys called up with Bradley Bozeman, UMBC coach Ryan Odom, legendary college basketball analyst Bill Rafferty, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. They also broadcast live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio, much like us here on the Battle Round. Zach, spring training is just, just three yeah. days away. We're about to ramp up. We made it through an entire offseason, had a lot of great shows, a lot of great guests. You said it a few weeks ago. I didn't want to agree with you until we got to this show. We made it. We did. We, we made, made it through it. an offseason. A lot of work goes into doing this show. Yep. Uh, a lot of notes, a lot of studying, and a lot of research there to bring two hours worth of content. It's not easy to talk about uh, baseball in the offseason for two hours every Saturday for four to five months. It's, it's not easy to do, but we managed to pull through and get it done, and now we're going to have plenty to talk about for the next seven months. Hopefully longer, probably not, but... Uh, guys, we're really excited for spring training to start. Really excited for this Orioles season. A lot of fun things could happen this year. We're going to see the continued development of Ryan Mountcastle, Trey Mancini returning to the field. Maybe Anthony Santander can take that next step. How's Freddie Galvis going to look at shortstop? Is Austin Hayes the center fielder of the future? Does he move to a corner spot? Are we going to see Yasniel Diaz, who was the centerpiece of that Manny Machado trade and now looks more so like Dean Kramer, was the centerpiece? Can he re... Um, reassert himself as that centerpiece of that deal uh, that remains to be seen but a lot of interesting things that we're going to see in 2021 it's not going to show up in the wins and losses column uh, but it's going to be a fun season to watch and I for one am more excited about this season uh, than I have been for any other season in quite a few years Zach me too I mean there's so much promise and you know it's not going to be like you said not going to show up in the wins and losses but it'll show up in the player development how far the Orioles can take that next step into being a competitive team that's that's what's important and I think a lot of people are wondering Paul are we going to do take the rake for spring training I I think it could be We, we could do it I think what we can do, Take to Rake, we yeah. can kind of ease our way back into that segment. Take to Rake is everybody's everybody's fav- favorite. everybody's favorite segment. And th- this year, um, I believe I won overall you, you, you did win. from last year. You came in second place by 
by it was a pretty weak effort for me. I'm not gonna lie. It was well, a pretty, yeah. pretty weak effort. I mean, you I think you had as many wins as Vasilios and he only did two weeks of the show. So weak effort. It, it, it's all right, man. You have an entire see, we did this in a sixty game season. I'm gonna turn it around this year. I'm winning this year. I'm, you, I'm it's gonna happen. Just wait. I don't know, man. I'm pretty competitive. I'm coming for you. I mean I'm we we, we need you. more prospects to debut, so I have some more people to choose from instead of just Ryan Malcastle or Trey Mancini. It's gonna be <laughs> Well <laughs> we, we, uh, we need some more choices. Keep in mind the rules now. You can't pick the same player. Can't two weeks in a player. row. Now, here's here's the other thing that may that may work in your favor. It's very easy to take Trey Mancini. It is or Ryan Mountcastle or Anthony Santander. Yep. It's easy to take them because they're the best players on the team. Right. Now, I always like to try and throw in a little curveball for myself every now and again. I like to take somebody like every now and again I'll take Pedro Severino. And that's how or, you won. Or I may or I may take Freddie Gallus. That's how I won, but that's in a sixty game season. In a hundred and sixty two yeah. game season that could hurt me. I, I like to take risks, and I like to not be. I, I like to not take the easy route because I feel like that's not really competitive. That's just being easy. But we will see. Uh, and guys, the big storyline in 2021, and it's already started. We've talked about it every week. His name comes up every week. The big storyline is Adley Rutschman. It is in, it, it in really 2021. Is. How's he going to look at Double A? Is he going to get promoted to Triple A? Is he going to make his major league debut in September or or sooner uh, in 2021? Adley Rutschman's going to be the storyline. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about him. And yep. that's that's the cool thing about having the minor leagues. We've never done this show. Zach and I have never done this show while the minor league season is going on. And with a minor league year, especially when your team doesn't win a lot at the major league level, the minor leagues makes baseball season fun. It makes baseball season fun because the Orioles, they're a top seven program now, a, a top seven organization now. And they have five players in the top in the top 100. Now, one of them in Ryan Mountcastle is going to be at the major league level all right. season. Um, but then they have guys like Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg and Hudson Haskin and Anthony Cervideo and or Cervideo. I never. I feel like it should be Cervideo, but everybody else says Cervideo. I think Cervideo. I, I don't know. I, I'd like to ask him personally how to pronounce his last name. But it's gonna. Be, there's a lot of really fun and exciting players that we're going to be able to see and talk about on these shows in 2021. And I think that's more exciting than anything is getting to see these guys play and hopefully take the next step in their careers. Zach, before we get out of here, what's uh, one thing? Actually, you know what? Let me rephrase that. Who was a dark horse candidate for you to make the the Orioles roster out of spring training? Yeah, I don't know. This is a tough one. I I think... I'm not sure he's so much of a dark horse, but I think Jemai Jones. I think it has to be Jemai Jones. Him Him or Taron Vavra, I think, makes a lot of sense as a dark horse. You know, not just neither of them. One of them doesn't have any major league experience, and the other one is nine games or so of major league experience. So I guess either of them could be considered a dark horse. But maybe overall, I would go with Jamai or Yusniel Diaz. I think Yusniel Diaz has a shot. You never know with an injury. You know, Santander, someone else could go down where they need Yusniel Diaz. He's 24. He's proven himself to be a solid hitter in the minors. He can play the outfield. It could be him. My dark horse is I think Bruce Zimmerman is going to win that fifth rotation spot. I would love that. I would has, really love that. That that guy and and it's Masson isn't really going to be telecasting broadcasting these spring training games. We're going to have to watch them on MLB Network when they do play. Um, and what I saw and the one downfall from that is you don't get to see these prospects firsthand. Right. And I remember watching Bruce Zimmerman pitch in several games last spring before the shutdown, and all I thought to myself was this guy has a big league curveball. Yep. And I think that this is a guy, he's a local kid. Uh, I'm excited to see him pitch this spring. And I really think there's no 
stranglehold on that on that fifth rotation spot. I think Felix Hernandez, just by showing up on day one, has the inside track to the fourth spot in the rotation. I'm looking at Bruce Zimmerman to, to, to seize that fifth spot in the rotation and try to hang on to it. Does he keep it all year? Again, remains to be, it seems like my favorite term, remains to be seen. But... Because a lot remains to be seen for the Orioles. Yeah. We, it's going to be an interesting year as far as really everything goes, from prospects to wins. It's going to be interesting, yeah. for sure. I'm really excited. He had a, he had a not-so-great debut, but really kind of settled down and, and pitched yeah. fairly well in his next couple outings for the Orioles back in September. I'm excited to see Bruce Zimmerman take take hold of this fifth rotation spot. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us here on the Bat Around. Thanks for tuning in. Last show before baseball gets started back up again uh, with spring training. Just want to remind you all, be safe, be socially distant. Wear your masks. We will uh, we will talk to you next week. See ya.